Hello everybody and welcome to another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. My name is David Lloyd, writer and broadcaster, and I'm here with... Chris Budd, um, writer of the Financial Wellbeing book and a couple of novels. Um, just put my name into Amazon and it'll all come up. <laughs> Marvellous. Uh, so um, what are we going to talk about today, Chris? Well, David, there's a couple of things. I was looking out the window and uh, it's drizzly, it's a bit miserable, and I thought of only one thing. Cricket. <laughs> there's no better thing to think of at this time of year well listeners um may remember that david and i run the local youth cricket section and we had our first winter net the other day it was good fun wasn't oh, it? it was brilliant it's it's so good you know you get to the end of the uh, summer season and it's quite hard work and you're spending all the time with the kids and that's rewarding you get to the point you go Thank God that's over. I really need a break now. I'm not sure I'm going to do that again next year. And then I get to this stage of the year and I'm going, oh, it'd be great to see the kids again. Absolutely fantastic. And it was a really good yeah. session. And they're all a foot taller as well, which is always yes, very weird. always bizarre. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, you know my daughter, Ella. I do. Through playing cricket. And a couple of things with the conversations with Ella, I just thought I'd report back on a financial basis because I thought they were quite interesting. First of all, I played her one of the podcasts, Lucky Girl. Um, I One of the things about her you playing... You indulgent parent, you. <laughs> well, one of the things about her doing county cricket is i got a driver all over the place. So while we're in the car, we've been listening to lots of classic albums, Moondance, Van Morrison, I played oh. the other day. But for a bit of a change, I thought, <laughs> I thought we'd listen to a financial wellbeing podcast. And do you know what her comment was at the end oh do you know what dad that was as boring as i thought it would be <laughs> which is like the strap line for these podcasts exactly not as boring as you thought it would be <laughs> we're going to talk today about how to get started and that's why i thought i would bring up my daughter because how to get started one way to get started is very early for the last four years they her and my son george they have an allowance and they only get their allowance at the start of each month if they've completed their accounts for the previous month. Whoa, hardline parenting. <laughs> so they have a very simple little spreadsheet to fill in. It's the um, whatever the day. It's the opening balance, money in, money out, closing balance. That's all. And they have to complete that every day. And of course they don't. <laughs> Being teenagers, they, they fill it all in on the last day of the month. But slowly but surely, the habit's starting to get in. And just the other day, um, my daughter said that she'd done a couple of baby sitting jobs she knew how much savings she had so she'd actually engaged with these accounts at last and she gave me the money from her babysitting to put into a bank account oh that's brilliant so it's working but, but you know what that's exactly the way i do my accounts you know i get to the end of the year <laughs> and i have to put in a spreadsheet to my accountant with all my income and everything and of course i should be doing it on a month by month basis but then i do find myself with an excel spreadsheet the night before they're due in entering everything in so one of the big things about financial well-being is having um control of your daily finances and um getting my kids to do this these accounts on a, on a, on a in theory daily basis but certainly weekly basis means that they know how much money they've got how much they're spending Michelle Magar's podcast remember that was one of the big because th- that's the podcast we listened to that's one of her big things was she's got so much well-being just by getting a handle on her money the other thing that, that Ella said, um, I was also explaining the miracle of compound interest to her. And at one point I said, let's just assume that you've taken out uh, a mortgage 
and it's got an interest rate of 5%. And she went, 5%? Cool, that's high. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I remember 15%, don't well, you? exactly, yes. I think we were at one point paying even more than that on a mortgage. Yeah. It was horrendous. So, so we've got a generation coming up who think, A, that house prices only ever go up mm-hmm. because they've never seen a house price go down in their lifetime, uh, and B, who think that 5% is a high interest rate. Well, they may well have a few shocks coming that <laughs> way. <laughs> I think they might. I think they might. So the last podcast we listened to was Carl Richards, the uh, financial planner from America. And there's one bit that he talked about which really, really struck a chord with me, which was all about when you go to see a financial planner, it's big. You are opening up things that you don't necessarily want to confront. Very often people go to a financial planner because they have a specific issue, and that's a bit of a a contradiction that financial planners need to be aware of, that the, the subject that you end up talking about isn't a subject people have come to you for. But I worry that people don't engage with their finances because it's just seen as such a big deal, setting goals for the future having objectives, working out what you want from life. That's quite big stuff. So how can we help people to get started? How can we break this down and make it a bit simpler and give people a few tips on how to get going, other than getting your parents to force you to do it when you're 16? (laughs) (laughs) As ever before we do, we've got a couple of tweets to read out. James Weatherall says, Live for today, plan for tomorrow, do what you love. It's not bad, is it? I no. can't, can't find any any flaw with that. Um, actually, some of the, the, these guys are um, young financial planners. Uh, there's a group um, called the Next Gen Planners, Next Generation, of young financial planners who, who, who love all this stuff. They want to do it the right way. Perhaps some of the older guard are still a bit in their old ways of, of focusing on product, but these young financial planners are. They're really enthusiastic. They're a great bunch. So we asked them for a couple of tips, and that's the first one we got back. And doesn't that just demonstrate they've got it? So how's that come about? I'm just going to go off on a slight tangent here, if I may, Chris. So, so I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, the image of a financial advisor, of a banker, you know, was a man in a bowler hat, very staid, very conservative. Now it seems that financial planning is developing a more, dare I use it, sexy image. You know, people are thinking out of the box. You could definitely use that word, yeah. <laughs> Present company accepted. <laughs> and people are thinking outside the box, doing things in a different way. Do you think that's just been as a result of a general change in society or is it a specific change within the financial industry? I think it's a bit of both. There's been some regulatory changes a few years ago, which I won't bore you with, but it was all around stopping people from focusing on commission from products. So that drove it a little bit. I've been working like this since I started and I've been watching the change through. There have been good planners around, but you were probably to find a good proper planner as opposed to advisor. The difference being, I would suggest, an advisor focuses on product or the tax, whereas a planner focuses on the plan for the future and the tax or the product is just a tool to help you get there. When I started doing it, there were perhaps, well, I knew of one other in the Bristol area. Now there's quite a few, but it's still, I'm told, about 20%. So there's still a big slug of the market out there who are still focusing on the product. They are getting better at it. It is improving. I would suggest anybody who wants a financial advisor should make sure the person they go to does understand planning and preferably uses coaching skills I would suggest to help people work out what they want from life first so coaching first then planning and then advice the product well if I could just jump in I'm a member of the the next gen planners group and help chair the southwest uh, meetings and there is definitely a, a want for that learning from 
the members, the younger guys. You know, we're technically we're all very proficient. We take lots of exams, but it's the coaching, it's the softer side, it's the behavioural stuff that we're all very interested in developing because we see that that's the real value to someone who's sat in front of us, and we can help them through that. Excellent. That's producer Tom Morris just chipping in there. So thanks very much for that, Tom. Um, right back to the tweets. Uh, Danny Matthews uh, says uh, something I've been sharing with parents who have young children is Go Henry, an app which gives the child a debit card, but the spend is controlled by the parents via an app. Do you know about that, Chris? I don't know about it. My initial thought is, are you helping the child to learn about money? Or is this a way of controlling them? Good question. Don't know what the answer to that Nor is. Nor do I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave the we'll leave the listeners to work well, out the answer. If, to that if anybody now. uses apps like that, I would be really interested to know the answer. Okay, so if you know about the app, go Henry, and if you've got anything to say about that, well, let us know, and we may well incorporate it in a future podcast. Right. So, what are we talking about then today, Chris? I thought we'd have a chat about how we can help people to get started in this financial planning lark. Uh, it's not something we wake up excited to do. In fact, for many people, the whole thought of engaging with your money, looking at your bank statement, ticking off what's essential what is, is just the worst thing in the world they could possibly imagine doing. So as Carl said, we want to try and help people to engage with their money and how their money can make them happier. So how can we help people do that? How can we get started? When you told me uh, yesterday what we were going to be talking about today and asked me to have a little think about it, there's a great quote that I use a lot, actually, in a lot of different contexts, but I think it's spot on for this, and it's from uh, uh, the German uh, poet and writer Goethe, and he wrote this in Faust, and he says, Boldness has genius, power and magic in it. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it now. Wow, yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, isn't that a Chinese proverb? There's two times that are the best time to plant a tree. A hundred years ago was the best time. The second best time is now. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Sometimes when we're faced with a task, and I suspect that financial planning is one of those things that seems so overwhelming and so big, well, actually, the only way to begin it is to take that first step. Yeah, yeah. But Chinese proverb, every long journey starts with a small step, but in which direction? Mm. So in some ways, you could say it doesn't really matter. Just take a step. And don't worry about the direction. So maybe that's our first suggestion. Put something, some form of idea about what the future might hold. We run workshops for groups of employees. We put down the numbers one to five on a worksheet and we ask them to write down five things that make them happy. We then ask them to write down five things that they don't currently do that they'd like to do that would make them happy. The first thing that's really interesting to note is nobody ever writes down five. In fact, quite a lot of people struggle to write down one. So if you want a starting point, there it is. Is there one thing that you'd like to do more of? Now, we're not talking bucket list. We're not talking skydiving. We're talking about things in life that you'd like to do more of. So running triathlons or learning the guitar or playing more snooker. or <laughs> What would yours be, David? Well, it certainly wouldn't be running triathlons. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to travel more. I know that's one thing that I definitely like to do more of. I love travelling. Travel is easily the most common thing that people say, funnily mm. enough. Yeah. But it's, I think it's also important just to find a few things that are not so big. Mm. And also, well, actually, do you know what? The one thing I would like to be able to do is to sit and do nothing 
without feeling guilty. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Because, because as a self-employed person, always at the back of my mind is that nagging voice going, you should be working, you should be working, you should be working on that script, you should be writing that novel, you should be going out looking for more work. And that kind of keeps me going. So if there was one thing I could have, it would be to get rid of that voice. OK, so one thing that's interesting to do is um, to rate the five things that you'd like to do. And it's worth people really talking to their partners, working out five that you currently do, five that you'd like to do. Rate them. How much do you currently do them on a scale of one to ten? So that's one thing. And then pit them against each other. And you can actually do this in a little table where you put the 10 different things on the left-hand side, 10 different things on the on the top, X and Y axis, and then just put them against each other. You need to think about that and decide which one's going to win. Mm. Novel versus travel, and so on and so on. And actually, if you pit those against each other, you end up with a priority order. Mm. And that's a really good way of f- working out what it is that you want from life. Put down the things that you like to do, pit them against each other, say how much you currently do them as well, put that in the mix, and you end up with a list of priorities another way of challenging ourselves and finding out what we want and getting started on this financial plan because the starting point is what we want from life let's just recap that's a big thing and so we're trying to break it into more manageable chunks to start getting a little bit of clarity to make some of those guesses and self-limiting beliefs is something that i find really interesting a self-limiting belief is where you say to yourself I can't lie on the sofa watching the test match. I need to be working. Now, that's not a truth. That's not a fact. But that's what you believe, that you should be working. It might also be people might say, um, I'm no good with money. That's not a fact. That's a belief. So the idea of self-limiting beliefs is to work out some of the things that you believe and then just challenge them. One of the things that I would like to just unpack as well is this word goals. Because goals is a big word in in, uh, our society. Oh, Carl didn't like that, did he, the American guy? He didn't like the notion of goals. No. When I did my uh, business coaching diploma, um, this is something I got quite obsessed with. And the thing that I did that really uh, revealed to me what I don't like about goals is just typing the word into Google Images. Because what you get if if you do that is you get a series of pictures which represent goals and they are things like a mountaineer on top of a mountain or clearly a ball in the back of the net or a dart in the middle of a dartboard and all of those things have one thing in common they're finite they have an end point and other than the obvious one life doesn't have end points so when you retire life carries on so if your goal is to retire once you reach that goal then what happens more life And if you haven't thought about that, which is such a common thing to not think about what you actually do in retirement, we can get stuck. So being obsessed with goals, I would suggest is not helpful. And I prefer to think about motivations. I'm going to give you an example, a personal example of something that happened to me about 10 years ago. Rewinding even further, when I was a kid growing up on the Wirral in the northwest, the place that I thought I could be that was as far away from my life that I'd ever been was Everest. You know, at that point, I was born in 1955, it had only been climbed for the first time two years previously. So the notion that me, a a little boy from Ellesmere Port, could possibly ever go and climb Mount Everest was like going to Mars. It, It was something that I would clearly never, ever do. Ten years ago, I went on um, an expedition, a trekking expedition, to Everest. We weren't going to climb to the top. That's slightly too rich for my blood. But the idea was we were going to climb a mountain called Kalapatar, which is on the other side of the valley 
from Mount Everest. It's higher than Everest Base Camp. That's what we're talking about. Five and a half thousand metres is about 19,000 feet. So we trekked all the way up through the Kambu Valley, flew into Lukla, took us 10 days of slow trekking and climbing, going up, coming down, acclimatising, going up. We got to the point at which it is still possible to walk without oxygen, but, but much higher than that, you need oxygen tanks. There's 50% oxygen in the atmosphere. It was tough. Carl talked about, in the previous podcast, about every adventure having a degree of danger in it and hardship in it. And that was certainly the most adventurous and the hardest thing that I ever did. But the goal, if you want to put it that way, was to get to the top of Kalapatar. So we're climbing up the side of this mountain. Ten days it took me there, an awful lot of training and an awful lot of planning. So we're getting nearer and nearer to the summit. We're standing there. I'm looking down at the Kumbu Icefall beneath me. I can see Everest Base Camp several hundred metres below where I was. And above me, sorry, facing me on the other side of the valley, there's Mount Everest. There it is, Mount Everest, and I'm seeing it. I'm standing half a mile away from it on the other side of the valley, and it's towering above me, still another 10,000 feet higher than where I was. But it was Mount Everest. And I'm going up, and I'm looking up to the top of Kalapatar, and that was my goal, OK? And I get to within two, 300 metres of the summit of Kalapatar, and I could not take another step. And you know how it is if you're running or whatever, you're doing some physical activity, you can always dig deep, you can always find something else. Well, actually, I was gone. I was spent. I stood up, I could not take another step. And in the end, the expedition doctor said, you need to go down, you're in danger of getting altitude sickness, you need to go down and you need to go down now. So I stood there for a while and I cried, I don't mind telling you I cried. And I looked at Everest and I looked at the top of Kalapatar and I remembered myself as a little boy and I thought, actually, that was my goal. But in a sense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I didn't do those last two or 300 metres because here I am now, there's Everest. And for that moment, I'd reached my own personal Everest. Great story. Yeah, a really, really nice example. I was going to say, actually, there's another story about Everest, which is very relevant to, to goals. I've mentioned on the podcast before Oliver Berkman's book, The Antidote. Uh, by the way, if anybody knows Oliver Berkman, I tweet him five times a day asking him to become a guest on this podcast. So please nag him and tell him to come and reply to me and come and be a guest. I really hope we can get him on here one day because his, his book, The Antidote, is all about it. It's the antidote to self-help books. And one of the things he goes on about is goals. When I was reading, I was thinking, yes, yes, this is this is me. And he talks about Everest. And he talks about um, one particular trip, which people will probably be very familiar with, uh, when people try to get to the top of Everest and sadly they died. And the point that he makes is that some of those people got to the top of Everest and died and they achieved their goal. And the goal was to get to the top of Everest. Well, mm. actually, the goal would be should be really to stay alive. Exactly. And, and so the irony of that awful, awful story is that they achieved their goals and yet lost their lives. So focusing on a goal and a fixed point, I don't think is very helpful with financial planning. I think it's more about uh, motivations, what makes you happy in life, doing more of that. Can my money help me achieve that? And what sacrifices am I willing to make? And this is the final point on, remember that one to five that, that we were talking about of, of what you do, the one to five that you'd like to do. Once you've got those down and once you've compared one against the other and you've got a priority list, you start to get real clarity over what that future might look like. 
And then you've got to start the whole process again, go back to your bank statement. And when you've gone to that bank statement and you look at something, you said, yes, that is an essential. Now look at what the stakes are. Now look at what actually the future could bring. Some of those things that you thought were just dreams might just be possible if you changed some of your behaviours, some of your beliefs. Um, and so you go round the cycle and round the cycle. Anybody that has a financial advisor, financial planner, anybody that's doing it themselves, it's crucial that you do the review, the financial planning review, at least once a year. How are those guesses looking now? Do we need to refine them? How important are those things you've been buying? How much clearer are those things in the future and the mo those motivations? And then your financial plan will start to become clearer and clearer. And actually, you'll throw away the piece of paper because you'll understand what the future might bring. So in terms of that first engagement, clearly it's a practical thing, like phoning up a financial advisor and making an appointment. But before that, is there an emotional engagement with the process that needs to happen? Is that perhaps the first step? Is it an internal thing? Is it a realisation that you you need to change the way in which you're doing things? Or is it a practical thing? You know, it's chicken and egg, which comes first? Yeah, and, and actually what tends to come first in, in practice is a specific requirement. So I've got kids, I need some life assurance, or I've inherited some money, or I've sold my business, or I'm coming to retirement and I've got to make decisions on my pension. Those are the reasons that people tend to go and see financial advisors. Occasionally we get people who come and see us and say, I would like clarity over my future, but it's not often. So we have an interesting dilemma of people coming to us saying, I've got this money to invest, and we're sitting there saying, well, we need a context. We need to understand what this money's for. So we need to tease this out of people. People who don't use financial planners, that's hard to do yourself because you can't challenge your own assumptions. You can't challenge your own self-limiting beliefs. It's not easy to do. So using somebody else, I would suggest, and clearly I'm going to say a financial planner who uses a coaching style would be the best. But if you can't get one of those or you don't want to pay one of those, family friend, your partner, your parents, talk to somebody to help work this stuff through. I think that is invaluable and I've certainly found that very, very useful, you know, having somebody to bounce things off and it, and it really helps Clearly, if it's somebody who knows what they're talking about, <laughs> or at least pretends they do. <laughs> or if you can't, you know, and, and let's face facts, you know, sometimes for people engaging the services of professional can be prohibitively expensive. You may argue against that. You may say, well, actually, I can save you more money that's going to cost, you know. To... But there is, of course, the financial well-being book. Uh, which is specifically there for those people that might want to take those first steps. And there's some good advice in there, isn't there? About that's, that's the reason I wrote the book, David, is because there's lots of people who can't or don't want to take for, uh, pay for financial advice. Well, a tenor for the book, the, the proceeds go to the Penny Brown Cancer Centre, and they have a way of doing it themselves. But even in the book, we say some of this stuff you really do need to talk with somebody else to help tease out these, these beliefs of yours, to tease out these objectives and motivations. Hmm. No, and I would certainly support that. And Although, can I just chuck in, there's a great line from Red Adair. Remember Red Adair, the great oil the Oil well firefighter. Yeah, yeah. And, and a great line from him. He said, if you think hiring a professional is expensive, wait to see how much it costs to hire an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> and remember what Goethe said, boldness has genius, power and magic in it. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it now. Do you know, I never realised that Chaz and Dave's song, Goethe, was about a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs>
What's the difference between a girder and a joist? I don't know. Girder wrote Faust, and <laughs> Joyce wrote Ulysses. <laughs> That's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. We'll catch up with you again very, very soon. Goodbye. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial wellbeing. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at David underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Computer terminals report some gains in the values of copper and tin, while American businessmen snap up Van Goghs for the price of a hospital wing. <laughs> <laughs>